Let's uh, go Bears. Okay, huh? That was Oklahoma, though, I think we had going on there. Lots of good stuff. But it's baseball time, so we're supposed to be saying go Angels, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. After all, it seems quite appropriate being in a church and talk about angels. But Hey, we're in the book of Philippians, so if you have your Bibles with you, or you'll see a Bible underneath your chairs there, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Philippians, which is a particular letter written by Paul to a group of people in Philippi who he had intimate acquaintance with. He had been involved in their lives. He had been literally involved with them in beatings, watching amazing things happen as God broke him out of prison, interacting with the people over and over and over again, helping them to understand what a walk with God was all about and how to live in accordance with the kingdom of God so they might experience that powerful reality that God wants us all to experience, which is living out the kingdom of God in our lives, interacting with God on a daily basis, finding ourselves challenged to live like what Paul refers to as citizens of heaven, citizens of heaven. And today, we're going to continue with these insights he's been given us. In the first chapter, he tried to help everybody understand that the way in which we deal with life itself and we learn to live in the kingdom of God is, first of all, we have to affirm our calling. So he talks about that issue of saints and sinners and how he himself is called to serve people, and we are as well, and that when we serve, we become saints. And it's an interesting thing. God gives each one of us specific calling, a specific direction, according to his desire and according to our makeup or our image. And then he moves into an understanding that we all struggle with everyday issues and circumstances that come our way, issues with death, issues with living. And he tells us we need to learn how to live over our circumstances as we live out our beliefs. So in the workplace, we learn to live over our circumstances, not get underneath them, and learn to live out our beliefs on a regular basis so that others understand what it means to live as a Christian and to live out the kingdom of God as we live here. Then he moves on and he talks about the issue of attitude. And he says, you need to have the same attitude that Christ had. We all understand that our attitude determines most of our actions. That our attitude influences us and others around us more than anything else in life. So Paul says, you must have the attitude of Christ. And that when you take on his attitude and relationship to the people within the church body, to the people that you interact with on a regular basis that you have the right attitude and relationship to God himself and submit to his direction in your life, that when you do this, that you will begin to experience God's joy and God's peace and God's direction in your life on a regular, consistent basis. But if you don't, if you choose not to, he said, then you'll continue to live in defeat. And he desires for us to understand that process. And he uses an interesting term there as he closes up. He says, you need to learn how to work out your salvation. He didn't say you need to work what? Your salvation. For. He didn't say you need to work for it. You already have it. You need to to work it out. And he's saying you need to learn how to live in the kingdom of God because we live on earth and yet we are citizens of heaven. And so it's an odd process that we have to go through to figure out how to live in a manner that not only pleases God, but that causes our spirit to say, yes, you are God's child. This is the truth. This is reality. This is what's going on. And as you do that and you experience his power regularly, you find yourself going, wow, this is incredible. I am working out my salvation as I live out the values that God has placed in my heart now. 
He's placed them in there, now begin to live them out. Then he goes on in the next chapter talking about how grace is everything in life. And Eric talked about this last week, that the rights of circumcision or baptism or all these other various rights that we can get involved in, he says, mean absolutely nothing. That grace is everything in life. And as we understand the wonder of grace and the wonder of all that God has done for us, then we begin to inhabit God's power within us. And life begins to be much, much easier We don't find ourselves always trying to do something else or be better or whatever. We simply respond to God's directives in our lives and experience his praise to us on a regular basis. So we've moved all the way through now to chapter 3. We're at the very end of chapter 3, starting with verse 17. And that's where we're going to be at today. So, boy, you guys just read all three and a half chapters. Wasn't that great? You did a good job there, very, very rapidly. So let's take a look at that, and as always, we want to read the Scripture, because no matter how poorly I present it to you, if you read it beforehand, you'll still get at least a good blessing today, if nothing else, right? Okay, good. So 317, we're going to start actually with verse 15, because that's the way they broke it down in this paragraph here, but we're really going to interact beginning from 15 on through, okay? So verse 15 starts like this. All of us then, he's referring back to the understanding that I just talked to you about in relationship to the grace that God has given to us, the wonder of living for him and in him and through him. All of us then who are mature, you know, I hate it when he says things like that. Those of you who are childish don't need to pay any more attention. Okay. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, God will make it clear to you. In other words, he's saying you will be totally wrong. That's what he's really saying. They say, you'd be totally wrong. God's going to clear it up on you. So you better listen to what I have to say to you. I'm not messing around here is what he's telling you. He says, now let us live up to that which we have already attained. We've been brought into the kingdom of God. God has caused you to be born again. You experience the spirit of God within you. Now begin to live it out. He says, do this thing. Join together, he says, in following my example. Brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model... So keep your eyes on those who live as we do. See, Paul is very clear. Walk as I walked, not just as I said, as I did. Very clear. He says, I lived out the gospel among you. You saw an example within me and in Timothy that we lived in the kingdom of God. You saw it. You recognize it. Now imitate that in your own lives. You know how. Do it now in your own lives. Often I've told you, and I tell you again with tears, that many are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God, it's their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And their mind is set on, and boy, if I was in your Bible and do something, I would say circle that, earthly things. Their mind is set on earthly things. I had a professor a while back say this. He said, only the heavenly minded do much earthly good. Only the heavenly-minded do much earthly good. And that's what Paul is saying. Their mind is set on earthly things, so they become so self-centered, so self-focused, that they're unable to accomplish what God desires to do through them. And they're constantly involved in sin, instead of involved in the service that God has called them to. And he said, it's so sad, I cry for them. I'm so overwhelmed with sorrow concerning who they are. He said, but you, your citizenship is in heaven. 
And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. He's trying to tell us that this earthly body I had here is going to be a short-term thing. For some of you that are a little older, I'm looking back at some of my friends back there, you're going to be really happy when God transforms it. I'm definitely moving into that position. I go, boy, Lord, I am going to be so happy when I get that brand new body that will be like yours, that will be phenomenal, that will work so well and no longer creak and groan and be like an earthly tent with a bunch of holes in it because that's what's happened to mine now. Oh, it's getting bald. So you can fool ourselves. One of the biggest things we do is, is, is guys in their 50s, we think we look really good until we turn around and you see the bald spot back there. You go, man, but as long as I don't get a mirror out and look on there, I feel like I look pretty good. God is saying, Lee, you're wearing out. Recognize it. Live like your citizenship is in heaven because this one's wearing out. It's wearing out. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. Don't look in the mirror and then walk away and say, I don't have a bald spot. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Bummer. (laughs) Therefore, now we're in verse 4, chapter 4. Therefore. My brothers and sisters, remind us we're a family that's going to be there forever. You whom I love and I long for, you're my joy, you are my crown. Quentin often says to me, man, talk about the crowns that we get in heaven. We get all the crowns. He says, what's that all about? He said, we're supposed to be full of joy and complete. And, And I said, the crown that you're going to get in heaven. Paul says, you are my crown. That when I get in heaven, I'm going to look out and see all these wondrous people who are part of my life as a result of me sharing my faith and imitating that and showing them how to live and to walk. That's the crown. That's a marvelous crown. It's a forever crown. Every time I see that, I'm reminded, yeah, look what God did through me. Look what God did. And that's the crown Paul talks about in this case. He says, stand firm then in the Lord. In this way, dear friends, I plead with Yodia and Sintiki. Can you say Sintiki with me? Sintiki, isn't that a weird name? Yeah. Even sounds like someone that would be even fighting all the time. He says, I asked you, my true companion, uh, and actually the word in this is synagus is the name for true companion. They, had, they chose to translate that one. They weren't sure if it was an actual person's name or was just talking about his friendship. But in, in the Greek, it just got what looks like a name there that refers to this true friend area. And I asked you to help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Help them to be of the same mind with the Lord, to agree with one another. Obviously, we have a fight going on that's gotten so big. I guess I don't need that. It's gotten so big that the whole church knows about it. And Paul has heard about it in prison in Rome. I mean, that's pretty bad, right? Big fight happened. He says, take care of this issue. He says, then rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident all. The Lord is near. And don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all of our understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, 
whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, we're going back to the where we began at in verse 17, Join and follow my example. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Father, speak to our hearts and remind us of our calling as citizens of heaven that we might today commit together to be just that, to begin to act out in our lives the reality of, that's taking place in heaven even today, that we are your children and we need to respond to one another in such a way that it reflects that truth. Guide us today to understand what that means and how to do it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Today I want to, I want to talk about this issue of how do we uh, grab a hold of our joy and our peace when we've lost it. Because for many of you, you'll be in my office, just about all of you will eventually, <laughs> and you'll come in oftentimes with your spouse, and you'll say, we lost our joy. We lost our peace. All we do is what? Fight. See, some of you already got it. So all we do is fight. Can you help me? Yeah. Yeah, I, I can help you. I can help you get in touch with the problem, and God will show you how to deal with the issue. And Paul puts it this way. When you've rejected your citizenship, when you're involved in rejection of God's calling in your life, you need to get back to the basics and join Paul in imitating him and look among you for those who have already shown you the example of how to live life. So oftentimes what I'll do is I'll say, let me put you in touch with a mentor. I'm going to put you in touch with this particular couple who have learned how to do this and they'll help you understand how to do it as well. And you begin to understand what you need to do to bring back into your life the joy and the peace that God wants you to have as you interact one with another. I was a brand new Christian. I'd been just gotten out of the service, give my life to the Lord. I think I was about, oh, maybe a year and a half, maybe at the most two years. I want to say about a year and a half old. And I found myself in Fort Bragg, California. This is Northern California. I was staying with my dad, working as a janitor, saving up money. Uh, God has, had told me I was supposed to go to school. I was getting ready to go to college and begin the process of preparing myself uh, for the ministry, uh, which scared me to death. <laughs> the thought was like, I, I fought God all the way. I did not want to do that. And God made it clear, this is what you're supposed to do, whether you like it or not. And I recognize, see, it's not my call. It's God's call. It's not my call. It's God's call. He determines where we're going to work and what we're supposed to do. Whatever that may be. And we're to respond to that and, 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 and allow them to do it. So I'm in Fort Bragg and they have a church meeting. And I literally, I've never really been in a church before. So I've never experienced any of this stuff here. And, and they said, we're going to have a church meeting. You can stay if you want to or you can leave. And I thought, well, I want to stay and see how this is done. Bad idea. They started this meeting and they started into People were mad about this and they were mad about that. And they needed to be doing this and they needed to be doing that. And I thought, this isn't a church meeting. This is a church battle. And I was astounded. I thought, God, is this what your church is about? Because if it is, I'm not sure I want to be a part of it. This is really uncomfortable. And it doesn't feel to me like a presentation 
of heaven. It felt like more like James, you know, uh, uh, chapter 4. It talks about you quarrel and you fight and you don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so you can spend it on your own pleasures. And that's what it felt like, that this church was all about me, I. Everything was involved with what I was going to get out of this. And there wasn't much service going on. There was just a lot of, this is what I want to get. And I went, how's this happening? Is this what the church is about? And that was really devastating for me as a brand new Christian. I was, I was like, I don't think I want to be a part of this. And Satan was using this to try to stir me and move me away from God's desire and God's direction for my life. Paul put it this way, Philippians 3.19, he said, your mind is on earthly things. And that's exactly what was happening in the church. Their mind was on earthly things. They had no concept or no focus upon heaven that God had called them to be focused on. And I was astounded by it. I said, this is supposed to be God's place. And instead, what I see is a, is a citizenship that seems to be found on self and selfishness. And when Paul talks about the citizens of heaven, he's trying to remind them they were a colony. Philippi was a colony of Rome. If you understand colonies, you'd understand it better. If we're kind of a British colony. We were originally, right? And the colony were people that were kind of, they were underneath the, the together people. They were, they were the lower group. So if you're a colony of Rome, they're going to help you become what you need to become going to help you to be what you need to be. They're going to influence you and teach you how to speak Greek. They're going to influence you and show you how to build good roads. They're going to do all these things that you need to learn because you're a barbarian, but perhaps we can help you to become somebody worthwhile. You see the picture? You're caught. So the Philippians weren't real happy with the Romans. The Jews weren't real happy with the Romans because they recognized they were seen as a lower group of people. And Paul uses this term about citizenship. And he says, look, you guys are not citizens of Rome. You're citizens of heaven. And as such, you should be influencing and interacting and presenting the kingdom of God itself in your interactions one with another, in your relationships one with another, in your church all with one another. And that should be reflected. And when you don't do that, then you begin to lose awareness and sight of all that God has for you and you start wandering down a path that He never intended for you to walk on. He says, I weep at the behavior of those who live only for themselves. They're enemies of the cross. They present a works-oriented faith. They downplay the work of Jesus. But you're to bring the culture of the rule of God into our relationships. And the church should reflect the very eyes of heaven. Grace. Peace. And joy. And if you're not reflecting that, he says, pull back. Pull back and take a look at yourself. You've rejected your calling. He says, therefore, my brothers, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord. I asked Yodia and Syntyche, he's going to get very specific, to begin to agree in the Lord because you've rejected your calling, not just your citizenship. You're a citizen of heaven, but you've rejected it. You begin to live like you're anything other than that. And you've rejected your calling as as God's people. You begin to fight with one another. 
How many of you got to watch the NBA Finals? One thing that's always interesting to me about basketball players, whenever the ref calls a foul, what happens? They go, like, they didn't know they punched the guy? I mean, literally, one guy, boom, knocked him to the ground. They looked up to see if he did that. I'm going, are you crazy? The process by which we choose to ignore what we're doing involved in the fouls of life, and we wait for a, a referee to call it on us. And he says, in the church, when you make a foul, you don't wait for the referee to call it. You recognize the loss of peace and you deal with that issue. That's how you stand firm in the Lord. You choose to love and you choose to agree. Yodi and Sintiki are in disagreement. And Paul reminds them, you're supposed to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You're members of one body. You were called to peace. And that directive in Scripture, when it says, let peace rule, it means to call the shots. That he's the umpire. That peace must rule in every situation. That that's the bottom line. And the first one that gets there is the one who wins. The only one who wins here as a citizen of heaven is the one who gets the peace first. It doesn't matter who wins in terms of who gets the money or who gets the stuff or who gets the job. None of that matters. He said those are minor issues. God's more than able to take care of that and work that out in your life. But if you choose to put feast first, then you're the one who chooses to win. See, our problem is I'm willing to allow God to make the calls in certain areas of my life, but other ones I don't want him to be involved in. I want to make those calls. I say, God, I don't want you involved in this. Get away from me. Literally, get away from me. I'm ticked. And I'm going to be ticked. And I'm going to bust somebody. And I'm going to swear. And I'm going to scream. And I don't. You guys can fill in the blank, huh? And you all folded in different ways, by the way. <laughs> and that's a struggle. I go, what have you done? God said, you're not letting peace rule. You're not letting him be the umpire in your life. You're not being a citizen of heaven. You're being a citizen of earth. And that is not your calling. You're above that. My mom would say, you weren't raised that way. (laughs) Scripture says God raised you up. He says, you weren't raised that way. What are you doing? You know better than that. Why would you get down and and play in the dirt and the mud like that? And that's Paul's cry to them. What are you doing? What are you thinking? He says, God desires to keep you in this wondrous peace as you trust in who? Who? In Him, as opposed to yourself, your own ideas, or your own ideals, your own stuff. You won't gain peace by that. You might gain some stuff for a while, which you'll lose, by the way. But you won't get peace, and you won't get joy. And that's all you really want. I guarantee you, folks, I've never met anybody who wants anything more than that. One of the excitement about going back to Africa is a reminder again as I get to meet one of my brothers and sisters down there. All these people with nothing that have everything. I go, oh, I'm reminded again. They're the ones smiling and rejoicing in their shorts and t-shirt and living in a hut. And I'm the one moaning and groaning as I drive my car and say, will you quit cutting me off, jerk? 
I don't say that. <laughs> yes, I do. And I say, Lord, forgive me. Uh-huh. I need to respond differently in that manner. He says, there's no peace in the church. There's no, there's no, uh, uh, the church, er, early church used to greet itself, Aniva Shalom Machaya, or they'd say Aniva Shalom Yeshua. And it means the peace of Jesus or the Messiah be with you. It was a common greeting of the church. And they'd hug each other and give each other a kiss. He says, but among you, there's no shalom. There's no peace. Instead, there's, uh, and you go to your different sides and sing songs about God's grace. God's goodness, God's love to you. You know, and we're just so angry with one another. And we can't even enjoy the worship because we're thinking, I wish they weren't here. God, send them home. They should go there. It's a better place. You know, seriously. And God's saying, oh, man, you're going to get it when you get home. Hold that, hold on to that one for a while. <laughs> oh, I recently heard about a guy who he was a very rich man, and he and he said he he called his doctor and his lawyer to come with him, and he was in the hospital, and he was dying, and they came and they sat next to him, one's on one side of the bed, one's on the other side, and he said, "What'd you call us for?" He said, "Really nothing. I just heard that when Jesus died, he died between two thieves, and I wanted to see what it felt like." <laughs> Ow! <laughs> uh, Doctor and a lawyer. I thought, yeah, that, that works. At least he didn't call his pastor. I thought that was good. I go, oh man. See, Paul tells us we need to initiate and we need to imitate. We need to imitate Paul and those who are like him. We need to initiate peace. We need to imitate Paul. We need to initiate peace. Say that with me. We need to imitate who? And we need to initiate what? Okay, so let's say it again. We need to imitate Paul and initiate peace. And that's our calling. And that's really what this chapter is about as he tries to break it down for us and help us get a handle on it. He said, you find yourself in the position where conflict has broken your relationship. You're in disagreement with Sintiki or Yodia. And, and you find yourself going, I, I just don't know how to handle it. I don't know how to deal with this. It may be your spouse. That's, by the way, the one I deal with most and when I talk about how to deal with conflict is usually a spouse. Some of you have done premarital with me. You remember that? Yeah. And we put together a variety of acronyms. And so I want to give you a, a simple acronym about how to initiate peace. Because when you get in conflict, you have to restore your joy by a reconstruction process. And he says, in this case, and I asked you, my faithful friend, to help these women. To help these women. Sometimes we need a mediator to resolve our issues. Okay, I... I often act as a mediator with couples all the time. And it's like, they just need somebody else to be there to keep them from whooping on each other. I'm sorry, but there's just so intensity. But if, when someone else is there, it seems to soften it and we're able to deal with the issues and, and handle the problems and begin to, to deal with reality. And they begin the restoration process. And the acronym, one of the better ones that someone put together is simply STOP. The acronym is STOP. Get in conflict, stop. And the first thing we talk about, stop. James says is you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So I always say you need to stop, quick, slow, slow. So we stop, and then we quickly what? Listen. That is so stinking hard. I want to talk. I want to tell you my side. I don't want even to hear their side. 
And God is saying, no, quickly, listen, listen, slowly speak, slowly come to anger, if you have to come to anger at all. Quick, slow, slow. See, we stop. And what I say is, you need to speak the truth of pain slowly. And that's where you always got to start with conflict, because the tendency is this. I think my conflict is bigger than your conflict. I think my struggle is bigger than your struggle. And you hurt me. It's not about me hurting you. Because if I did hurt you, it's because you what? First, yeah. You hurt me first. So therefore, it's okay. And there, by the way, I should tell you this. I've concluded now. I've been in ministry about 35 years. And, And I've concluded this. Nobody's compatible. So when you say, my spouse and I were just not compatible, I go, duh. <laughs> People always look at me like, huh, what would you just say? I said, duh, you're not compatible. You're human. You're a sinner. None of us are compatible. We have to learn compatibility. You learn that over a period of time. And if you're dealing with conflict after conflict after conflict, you have to speak the truth of pain slowly. He says, finally, my brothers, whatever is, and the first thing he says is true. Whatever is true. So we start off the process of sharing our pain. Why are we hurt? We're to be transparent in our struggle. I love the way Jesus put it. Blessed are the peacemakers. We're to be involved in making peace one with another. And that's why he tells the brother here to, hey, grab a hold of those two ladies who won't do it on their own and force them to make peace. I mean, how would you like it? I'm in Paul's letter. Oh, great. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I'm in the letter, all right. I'm the jerk. <laughs> Lee and Mary, please help them to make peace with one another. Brings the, I go, oh, No. The whole church didn't know before. They know now. I guess we have to deal with it now. I guess we've got to deal with it. So you speak the truth of your pain slowly. Not only are we dealing with our pain, we're helping others to understand and deal with theirs. You bring it into light. You shine the truth on it. You expose it. You begin to even see what it was. Sometimes when I start speaking about what my pain is, I discover that wasn't it at all. It's actually this. That's why I was so hurt. My wife sometimes will share. She'll say, this, and I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, my goodness. I, didn't, I just thought, I didn't know. I didn't understand. I thought it was just, she said, no. And she, you know, I'm crying. And you're like, this is not fair. Okay, it's all my fault. I'm sorry. She said, that's okay, but we haven't got there yet. You don't get to do that yet. Listen, quickly listen. They share the truth of their pain, what happened. The tendency is to try to move ahead fast. You don't. You stay here for a while. Stay in the tears for a while. Don't go anywhere. Stay here. Hear it. Feel it. Understand it. And then after you, the OS, speak the truth of pain slowly. Take a step back. Okay, take a step back and define the problem. Paul says, whatever you have learned and received and heard or seen in me, put it into practice. 
and the God of peace will be with you. So what I could do is I could say, I, I want God's peace to be with me. I have to define what is the problem. I, I understand your pain, but what caused the pain? How did it come into play? What brought us to this place? See, they'd seen Paul deal with all these struggles that leaders and various other people had. They'd watched him day after day deal with these issues. They showed his transparency. They watched him bring problems and issues into the open. And you begin to understand that the problem is never your problem. Can you say that? The problem is never what? Your problem, yeah. The problem is just the problem. It's not yours and it's not mine. It just is. And if you begin to remove that from you and say, this is just a problem that we have to deal with, it begins to take a shape that can be dealt with. So you take a step back, you define what was the problem. Romans fourteen thirteen says, let's stop passing judgment on one another. We kind of say, you're not supposed to feel that way. Really? That's a good way to get slugged, by the way. I'm not supposed to feel that way? I would give you something to feel. <laughs> what I do now? I, because the, the issue that comes into place here is it's, it is what it is. I feel what I feel. Don't tell me not to feel. I can't help what I feel. All I can do is express it. And then I can deal with it. But this one I'm feeling right now. I may not be feeling that later, but right now I am. How do we handle it? You define the problem. Conflict's a team sport. You win or you lose together. You win or you lose together. But it's always a team sport. That's why you see many great players and they say, Wow, you you scored 50 points tonight. That was amazing. And he looks at you and he says, We lost. It's like the, the, you know, ding-dong reporter doesn't get it. He's saying... We lost. Still, I mean, uh, Celtics, you know, Rondo had had the best game of his life, and they got all through, and they said, wow, what a great game you had. He looked at me and said, we lost. Walked off. It doesn't matter how good you did in your debate. It doesn't matter how well you laid out the reasons for being what you are and how it happened what happened. All that matters is did you win or did you lose? Because you win together... Or you lose together. You both lose or you both win. So you've got to define the problem. You have to stop and define what's going on. How much was I hurt? Why was I hurt? Understand both the what and the why. And again, this is time consuming. Folks, the reason I hate dealing with conflicts in my life, I'm not really anti-dealing with conflict. I just don't like to take all that time. You know? It's like, I don't want to choose it. It's like, oh, this takes like the whole night. Can't we go to bed and settle this fight like two married people? Wife says, no, settle the issue. Let's take the time to deal with the conflict. We, we define the problem. And then the O is open yourself up. And this is in terms of forgiveness and insight. This is the time we allow the peace of Christ to rule. You let the peace of Christ rule. And this is when you have to say peace Rules. Can you see that with me? Peace rules. And, and that's really the key when you deal with... Con- Boy, if you just get nothing else, get a hold of that. You've got to let peace make the rules. Peace makes the rules. Peace always demands forgiveness and reconciliation. Always. Every time. 
And we choose to embrace peace because it's more important than being right or being wrong. One of my most common statements to a young married couple when they get together, and I'll talk to their uh, the husband in this case, and I always say, I say, you know, you, you've got two simple things in your life right now set before you. You can either be right or you can be happy. Which one do you want to be? And they'll look at me like, huh? I said, you're going to understand what I'm saying in about three weeks. <laughs> and by the way, that's not getting down on women because women tend to have the manual. They understand what you've got to do. And guys are just busy running ahead. God places within women the ability to understand the need to take care of issues. And when they are happy, then the marriage is working. And when they're not, nobody is. Nobody is. And the reason for that, I sincerely believe, is because God is trying to say, Lee, you're too dumb to know, you know what's right, what's going, how to make this work. You just don't have the, the capacity. So I give it to her, and if you'll listen to her, if she's happy, then everything's going well. If she's not, it's not. Deal with it. That's hard sometimes, but that's the way it truly works in almost all marriages. So we have that term that everybody laughs about and thinks it's funny. It's that if mom's happy, everyone's happy. And if mom's not happy, what? Ain't nobody happy. And we all know it. It's like I go, we're not saying that just to say it. That's the way God made it. That was her purpose when he brought her into the marriage. Help him to understand. I won't get into that. That's another message altogether. <laughs> okay? Open yourself up to forgiveness and insight. And this is the point in time when you ask to forgive one another. You say, I am so sorry. Please forgive me for that. And your spouse says, oh, they always say something like this. Oh, no, no, it's not your fault. It's okay. I say, can we just, can we, will you please forgive me for that? And they say, yes, I forgive you. And they'll say, will you forgive me? And Oh, yes, I forgive you. And then we can move on. And then after you've done this, then you move to the next thing, which is plan. The P is for plan. How are we going to avoid this thing next time? Okay, how are we going to avoid this? How are we going to keep the good stuff? Jesus put it this way. I love this. When Two of you get together to agree. This is Matthew 18, and that's a far better translation than most of them that you'll work on. When two of you get together to agree and you make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I will be there in the midst of it. You see, Jesus shows us that to accomplish the miracle that God wants to bring into our life, you've got to allow peace to rule. And you've got to allow God to be in the midst of it. And you have to choose to come together to agree, not to get my way. You come together to agree. And when you do, Jesus gets in the middle of it, and a miracle takes place. A miracle. You understand each other. You recognize what you need to do to ask. And together you agree on it, and you move forward. And you are in the process of doing a miraculous thing called in Scripture, becoming one. But the only way you get to experience that miracle is if you'll go through the process. You allow God to heal. You allow Him to rebuild trust, to rebuild your relationship. 
You understand your part and the other person's part of the problem, how it came together, and what you need to do to correct it. And God gets in the midst of it as you pray. One of my favorite films called Bruce Almighty. Let's watch a clip from it. Fun show, by the way. If you want to have some fun, go back and renew yourself on that one and go, oh, that was neat. Some of the truths that were taught uh, through, the, through the media in this particular case. Conflict's inevitable, folks. Light always attracts bugs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the question is, how are you going to deal with them? How are you going to deal with your problems and your struggles? Are you going to go after peace? Or are you going to try to ignore them? We talked about here, we said the number one thing they didn't say about how to deal with conflict, number one way we deal with it, we just hope it goes away. Please, God, just remove it. It's too painful to deal with conflict. And God says, if you'll endure the pain, then you'll learn how to embrace peace. Or as Dolly Parton put it in her magical way, <laughs> she said, if you want to enjoy the rainbow, you've got to have some rain. Yeah, and that's the process. Conflict builds intimacy. You see, when I have conflict with you and I deal with it, then we draw closer and closer and closer. And God wants His church to be close. So He says, if you want to remember a simple thing about how to keep His joy and His peace, you have to imitate Paul and you need to initiate what? What? Peace. There you go. Imitate Paul, initiate peace. And he says, you need to always be joyful in the Lord. You need to celebrate on a regular basis. No matter what situation you're under, celebrate, rejoice, give thanks to God, jump up and down. You know, just say, God, thank you so much. I appreciate all you are and all you've done. Do the opposite of what you think you ought to do is what I usually tell people. If you think you're supposed to be crying, you're probably supposed to be laughing. Seek joy. And he says, as he ends it, what? Always. Always. But what about, Paul says, always. Because God is in the midst of every circumstance and every situation. And that as you find yourself rejoicing and praising God, then you learn to pray about everything. You find yourself in the midst of your rejoicing talking to God and you turn your worries and you shape them into prayers and you begin to talk to Him about it and it releases the hounds of heaven. <laughs> Suddenly we find ourselves experiencing God's power once again as we pray and ask Him to do something remarkable. And He does it over and over and over again. And we pray like Jesus said. You know, our Father, we recognize our relationship. Who art in heaven, He's not here, but He's aware of everything that's going on here, and He wants to make it like heaven. Hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come here on earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today what we need. Forgive us our sins. Help us to forgive those who sinned against us. Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil, for thine is 
the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's the cry of God to you today. The last thing is you just got to let peace rule. Or sometimes the kids will say, peace on. You know, like, okay. <laughs> Turn it on, baby. Peace on. I rejoice. I pray and I say, let, let peace rule. Lord, let peace rule in my life. And the peace of God, which transcends all your understanding, makes no sense whatsoever. Our minds will go, there's, there's no reason for you to be peaceful in this situation. It'll suddenly overwhelm you and it'll guard your heart and your mind, both your emotions and your ability to think. God's peace will take you over and you'll go, oh my goodness. And let me tell you this, it's simple, but it's not easy. God makes it all simple, but it's not easy. It is work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not like Ken said, with beer and stumbling. <laughs> Father, thank you for this chance we had today. To be reminded of the simple fact that you are a God who inhabits our praises. You are a God who provides us with pieces beyond our understanding. You are a God who wants us to deal with our relationships, our brothers and our sisters. And you desire for your church to be one that declares a citizenship of heaven. So that when people come here, they find themselves literally looking into the eyes of God as they see their brother and their sister choosing to love one another in spite of. Lord, help us to be those kind of people. It's hard to live in the kingdom of God. Lord, it's hard to live in your kingdom. It's difficult. And yet, you give grace where it's needed. And you provide help and strength where we have none. So today, we come to you and we ask that you might do it once again. Allow the wondrous power of your Son, His Spirit, to flow into our lives and change our hearts. Give us the desire and the ability to let peace rule. We want to imitate Paul even in his death. And we want to initiate peace in all of our relationships. Enable us. For we asked it in Jesus' name. Amen.